This is Imperfect Action with Brock Edwards, and welcome to today. I messed that up already, but let's just keep rolling. Welcome to today's episode. Uh, we've got Mark Babbitt on here, and he is talking about leadership and culture and how to, how to develop those in both in uh, leaders of new startups as well as in established organizations that have maybe lost their way a little bit and how to help get them back on track. Uh, great episode, ton of fabulous ideas, and so I, I give it a listen. There's lots to learn from there. Uh, just a, a quick mention, they do get into a little bit of PG-13 language, so just fair warning if that matters to you. And then I also want to mention, if you haven't already, go back and listen to some of the, the most recent episodes. Episode 30, we had Zach Mercurio on talking about purpose and purpose being purposeful and, and how that applies to developing our business and developing our lives. Um, great conversation. Really, really enjoyed it. And we've got a ton of great feedback and responses from it. And uh, the one right before that as well, I'd mentioned episode 29 with Dan Waldschmidt, where he was talking about mindset, methods, and magic, where really how we think about things and the steps and approaches that we take can lead to, to magical outcomes. Uh, magic's a great word, but just think of it as like oversized outcomes where, where you know, you uh, one plus one equals four. Uh, so anyway, I would, uh, that's not how he describes it, but uh, I would give him a listen, great episodes. And of course, always looking forward to, to feedback and your thoughts. And you can make comments on the website at parkedwards.com or just shoot me an email at imperfectaction at gmail.com. Anyway, looking forward to hearing from you. Uh, let's jump in and listen to what Mark has to say. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Imperfect Action with Brock Edwards. And this is the, the podcast, you know, where we look for ideas and inspiration for taking that, that first step or maybe that next step, looking for ways to help us get out unstuck and get out of our own way. And I'm kind of tripping over my words this morning a little bit. As always, really excited for, for today's guest and excited for, for maybe a little bit of a different reason. I've got Mark Babbitt today. And just as we were kind of talking before I, I hit record, we realized we just have a lot of mutual friends. And that to me, that's always fun. Interesting people, no interesting people. And so I'm just really excited to learn from Mark today. Mark, can you introduce yourself a little bit? Let us know who of you course. are and what you're about. Of course, Brock, I'm happy to. So I am, I, I guess, uh, in in uh, personal branding terms, I guess I would call myself a serial entrepreneur. But more importantly, I consider myself um, a serial mentor. I I love the action that comes with startups and in the entrepreneurial world, but but more importantly, I I love helping people find their way in that world. And so so U Turn we launched ten years ago as a passion project. That was my third startup. Um, the two before that one um, highly successful exit, one disaster, um, and I probably learned more from the disaster than I did the success. And about five years ago, I became obsessed with with leadership issues and culture issues and specifically social media's impact on those issues. And so I uh, wrote a book called A World Gone Social, How Companies Must Adapt to Survive and and have a second book coming out soon called Culture Cornerstones. So so uh, firmly entrenched in the in the in the startup and entrepreneurial world and thrilled to be here today. Well, excellent. Well, so, I mean, you, you hit on something right there that I, I think is very true, that we often learn more from our, our failures than our successes. Uh, I don't know how much detail you can go into, but but what did you take away from the one that kind of cratered a little bit? Oh, well, cratered is a good word. Um, so, so the second startup is one that I was actually brought in to help fix. 
and I was not a founder. And and the three the three gentlemen who did consider themselves founders were were um, I, I guess you'd have to say dysfunctional, and and they weren't um, on the same page when it came to the mission. They definitely weren't on the same page when it came to purpose and values. They had raised thirteen million dollars uh, to to uh, to run their startup and had already burned through eleven million dollars of it, and and just there there was no direction. And here's here's the the biggest lesson I learned, Brock. I actually took that gig. I'm fifty eight years old now. That was in two thousand four, so I was forty four at the time, and. And I, for the first time ever, took a gig just for the money. And and matter of fact, I told them no for six straight months because something just didn't feel right. The 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 contract just got so big and so sexy that I finally said to my wife, I don't think we can turn this down. And so and so I jumped in and the next three years of my life was I gained fifty pounds, sixty if you want to count the ten pounds of hair and stomach lining I lost. It was it was just brutal and and so never again. Wow. Um, so you, something there you said, though, kind of, um, I, have a, I have a question about it there. That So you had three founders who somehow were not on the same page with what they wanted to do or how they wanted to do it, if I'm understanding you correctly, and yet managed to raise $13 million. How, how, how does that work? Well, that's a great question. Um, I, I still ask myself that question once in a while. One, they were highly proficient at presentation. And and I think that is a almost a a virus that that um, it's better now, but certainly in the late 1990s and 2000s, spread through Silicon Valley. If you boy, if you could present, if you could win a a pitch deck contest, you were in. And and they were good at that. And they had their lines down pat, and and they impressed a lot of people. And and it wasn't just. You know, angel investors at a quarter of a mil here and quarter there was Jeffco and Bessemer and all these amazing VC funds that saw something in them. Um, but in in the reality, I don't think as founders we can ever do anything just to make a quick buck. And and my perception was, after I was with them probably six months, that's all they cared about was was where we are entrepreneurs, therefore we are sexy, we are part of the in crowd. We're we're we we did raise all this money, so we're cool, and 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 we're gonna turn a quick buck, and that's and that's what counts. And and as you know, Brock, you can't you just can't go into business with that with that mindset. Yeah, I mean, you know, the the money's always nice, of course, but um, I, it, it's hard to imagine how you can sustain that when things get tough. If that's if you're just looking at the shiny, and so well, let me ask this: so you you've obviously learned a lot. Um, Maybe gained a little bit of hair and stomach lining back, lost a I few have, pounds since you. then, <laughs> and I've lost some weight. Thank you. <laughs> um, so, taking what you've learned there, taking what you've you know learned over the years from other experiences, like, is there kind of a, a set? I don't know. Formula is the right word, but like when you're mentoring someone who wants to do a startup, like is there just kind of a standard process that everyone should be going through thinking about? Oh well, that's a good Maybe question. Frameworks. I- I, I try really hard not to um, help people think. I, I think the, high, the people with the highest potential do a really good job of that themselves. But I do, as I'm as I'm looking at at um, who to mentor or maybe who not to. I do. I the first thing I look for, Brock, is how well their purpose is aligned to the to the product, and 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 it and a lot of that may come from that second startup. But 
but if you're if you're only in it for the money, if you're only in it because it sounds sexy, if 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 you're not serving other people well, then then I'm probably not going to invest too much of my time in you or or my team's time in you. And and that's the thing for me is I think, and you said it best, when things get tough and you don't have a set of values to fall back on and you don't have a, a clearly defined purpose to live within, then then you're going to make some really bad decisions and decisions that might set you back months or even years. And so that's the first thing I look for. And 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 so when I ask people, you know, I don't say, well, is your purpose aligned with your product? Uh, I, you know, I, I spend a little time with them trying to understand it without asking the direct question. And most people that I work with, they, their eyes just light up, their chin goes up, their, their, their hands start moving. And they're just so inspired by the idea, the concept the, and, and, and the bias for action. And if that last one isn't there, if that bias reaction isn't there, then then again, I'm I'm going to go spend my time elsewhere. So so bias for action, you know that we've got kind of the contradictory ideas. You know, one is kind of the the look before you leap. You know, be, be cautious, don't don't run out there and do something stupid. Um, and then we've got kind of the counter ideas that you know better to take action than not to take action, and there's actually a lot of sayings on that that I'm totally blanking on right now, but you know, it, it, where, where is the balance there between that bias for action? Yes, we need to get out. We need to push and, but it would probably be helpful if we thought things through too. Well, I think there is a balance and I, and I, uh, I refer to it as appropriate risk taking. I mean, uh, you'd be, you'd be a fool to, to, to jump in a pool head first until you know how deep the water is. Right. So, right. So it's, it, it is, it is appropriate, but every idea, every good idea I've ever heard, somebody at the end of a very long day sits way back in their, in their office chair and says, damn, this is good. And, mm. and when that feeling hits you, go to work, stop, stop thinking and go to work. And, and there, I don't think, you know, from, from Facebook to Google to, to, Ford Motor Company in the at the turn of last century, somebody sat back and did exactly that. I said, "Wow, we we can do this," and and when that feeling hits you, that's that's when it's time to take action. And of course, all along the way, Brock, as you know, you 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 have to keep sticking your sticking your toes in that water and measuring how deep the water is, because you can't go in blind. Now you can't you can't just make decisions based on enthusiasm. There there has to. I'm an engineer by trade. I, I spent. 10 years in Silicon Valley in the semiconductor in industry doing nothing but engineering. So I'm a numbers guy. The numbers still have to make sense all along the way or, or a pivot is required. So, so blind ambition um, and, and enthusiasm does, does not take away the need to, to, to look at how appropriate your risks are. Yeah. And uh, I, I think you said it better than, than I, I did just that, you know, what, how do you make sure you're not just swept up in enthusiasm and, you know, there's actually some substance under it there? Well, let me ask this. So when you mentioned, you know, kind of the people that you work with, what what are the, is there like a common set of traits that they come to you for help on? So, you know, they, they, they've got a good purpose and passion that they, they know where they're going. They've got the, the appropriate enthusiasm for it. They've got some good thoughts. They're willing to take action. If they've got all that, uh, how how do you best help them? 
Well, I think, well, first of all, I'll tell you, we work uh, with everybody from the newest startups to, to fortune, fortune 100 companies that have kind of lost their way. And, and you only have to watch the news for 30 minutes before you, you, you see a startup that had all kinds of potential that, that is now dissolved. Some of them after raising mil, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars to, to a company, and I'm not working with General Electric now, but I sure would love to, that they just can't seem to get out of their own way. They're, they're what we call twatty syndrome. The way we've always done it syndrome is, is so pervasive that they, innovation just isn't even possible for them. And, and we, we equate each of those issues to leadership issues. And, and if, boy, if, if you've built a great one runway and you have all kinds of time to build a great company that builds great products and you don't do it, that's, that's a leadership issue. And, and of course the, the secondary tier to that is it's, it's definitely a company culture and climate issue. And if, if you're not, if you're not building just a damn good place to work where people are fired up that, that slow walk from the, from your car door or the train to the front door of the business is just painful. And, and those people aren't engaged. You're never going to meet your potential. And, and so typically, we work with leaders who have already seen there might be a, a gap between current and ideal culture or, or um, current leadership style versus how they want to be known. And, and that's when they call us. Very rarely, Brock, and, and I'll tell you, this is a big problem, I think, in, in, in my world is, is people who are passionate about leadership and culture and careers and and of course personal their own personal development they haven't quite realized that that until they come to you they're not ready they're not ready to listen and and even if they make that initial call saying man i really need some help but then you don't hear from them again for 2 weeks you can't help them and they're not ready i mean they 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 know there's a problem but they're not ready to solve that problem they're certainly not ready to focus on the problem and and that that's a that's a clear line that that uh, that me and my team just don't want to cross. Yeah. So so I have several great topics in there around culture, but I, I'm actually really curious about you know just the the getting out of your own way and maybe it's over diagnosing and maybe it doesn't matter ultimately. But you know, so you mentioned you you've got people who know something's wrong. Uh, you know, they, they've at least gotten as far as reaching out and saying, hey, I think there's something wrong here. But then they're, they're still not ready to make that move. What what prevents that? You know, they, they, they can kind of see it, but they can't see it. In in most cases, Brock, it, it comes down to what we call old white guy disease. And I mean that quite literally. It's an older boomer white male who's been his own kind of leader for decades, 20, 30, sometimes 40 years. And they were taught to be decisive and bold and maybe a little autocratic and, and certainly loud when, when the situation required. They, they were not taught to be vulnerable and introspective and self-aware and collaborative. And, and usually in our, in our line of work, it's that it's that old white male suffering from old white guy disease that just doesn't want to come to terms with the fact that maybe his style of leadership isn't quite where it needs to be to get to the next level and, or, or to survive whatever challenge the company is facing at the moment. And, and, and yes, females fall into that trap too, 
But when you look at some of the dynamic um, CXOs in the world right now, a good portion of them are female and they are, you know, they do to, you don't want to stereotype an entire gender into one composite person, but female leaders do tend to be more vulnerable, more introspective, um, more willing to be an active listener. And, and they just don't seem to suffer from that same disease as males do. Mm. Well, I, you know, I, I can certainly see, you know, just as you're describing it, that if, if someone developed a, a leadership style, you know, 30, 30, 40 years ago, uh, 20, 30, 40 years ago, even, you know, they're operating and they haven't updated that style that, <laughs> you know, they're operating uh, in a world that just no longer exists at all. Um, you know, just total mismatch between what worked then and where we are now, I would, I would assume. Well, yes. And, and you just hit the nail on the head because uh, those leaders were taught results first, be damned everything else. And now we know, and Brock, you certainly know in your line of work, that in order to keep your best people and to keep a high level of innovation, you have to inspire people to do their best work. And, and, and even more than that, you have to help those people feel like at this company, I'm a member of a very exclusive club. I'm, I'm a VIP here. I belong here. And if I left, a piece of me would leave with me. And, and so even when things aren't going perfect, I belong here. And, and old school leaders just aren't very good at creating that that imagery, that that feeling of of togetherness and and uh, and the bias of action that comes from that, where you can look around the table and go, "Yeah, damn, this is good." So is that is that fixable? Like when when you're dealing with these leaders who who learn their leadership style, you know, in in the seventies or eighties, are are they once they come to terms with the idea that yes, they do need your help? Are you? Can, can they fix it or do they just need to like step aside or find, I mean, you know, find someone else uh, to fulfill that, that is a, piece? That is a wonderful question. And the answer is yes. Um, many, many leaders who are wholly ready to fix that problem can stand up in front of their primary core group or, or we've, we've even facilitated conversations in, in front of, you know, 500, 600 employees at a time where they just stand up and, and, oh, Brock, I should have asked you how direct I can be on your podcast, but um, I'm going to say it anyway. Um, you can edit it out if you want. Um, they stand up in front of the group and go, look, for the next last 20 years, I've been kind of been a dick. And and yeah, we've made some great progress and we've done some amazing things. But I've learned over the last few months that, 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 that that's not sustainable. And and so I'm here to change. And I'm I'm here to, to help us realize our full potential. And I need your help being that kind of a leader. And I, we've seen tears in the audience. It's like, wow. And, and, and what a, you know, what a, what a soulful personal thing to say. And, and uh, most of the time when leaders can get to that, to that stage, they can change and they can work. And when they can't get to that stage, if they're not willing to show that level of uh, vulnerability, then, then it's time to delegate. They can stay where they are. No title change necessary. No, you know, no resignation necessary unless, unless they're just being toxic, of course, as a leader. But, but you, you know, the one thing about uh, the startup world all the way up into the corporate world is we can delegate enthusiasm. We can delegate leadership. We can delegate mentorship. And, and if people are willing to do just that, they can certainly change. Mm. What about on the other end of it, Mark? So the, you know, the, it's the, the younger folks doing startups 
who who don't have you know decades of entrenched leadership style, but have kind of seen the you know the I don't know the a stereotype or the over glorification where it's well, it kind of actually sounds like you know kind of the the group you were talking about where it's all more swagger and shiny things than um, actual culture building, actual leading. Um, I mean, where I guess where does the new leader or the startup leader tend to get in their own way? Because the skills required to get some money and start a business are much different than the skills required to create a culture and lead people. Well, isn't that the truth? And and I I will tell you that even even some of the best cultures or or the biggest shiny pennies. I'll use Uber as an example. Look at you know billions of dollars they raised, but they're they're they had an accidental culture. There was there was no um, deliberate attempt to build a strong, inclusive, diverse, fair, safe culture. It was, you know, they they led the charge to uh, toward whatever happens happens, and 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 yet people thought they were the best company. You know, them and maybe Tesla and a couple others at one point, Google now still they they were considered you know the best places to work on the planet and it turns out instead it was completely toxic and and misogynistic and and it just wasn't good at all and and that's what tends to happen in the startup world is is we let tend to let our culture our work environment our climate you know how it feels to go to work every day that's an that's an accident typically led by the personality of the founder or the or the co-founders and and startups are learning no, I, I, great. I just got my funding or I'm about to, I, I know we have a wonderful idea. The prototypes are working very well. The concepts are working well. I'm not taking a chance on my culture. I'm going to dive into this, um, head first. And I, and I, and I am going to figure out how to build just that great, great place to work and, and where people want to stay more than 2.3 years and where my, my best people won't go to the next shiny penny because, because they love where they are now. And, and so if there's one danger in the startup world is you build so much momentum that you don't take the time to reflect on where you are now. It's all about where you're going. And that's where culture's getting into trouble. Yeah. And, and, and I, I hear about this kind of transition point where early on when you have, you know, and I, I don't know where the dividing line is call it less than 50 employees, you know, you, you can operate pretty fast and loose. Don't, don't need much structure because it's easy for everyone to communicate with each other. But, but then you hit a certain point and you, you suddenly need process to be able to main, maintain momentum. Um, what, what, it, from your experience, what kind of, where is that point where you need to shift over from being able to be super flexible and adaptable to know we probably do need some process. And, and how do you go about creating that in a way that still supports the, you know, fun place to come to work. Right, right. Well, I I have to tell you, my my inspiration from uh, fr- from this answer to your question comes from from General Motors of all places. Uh, Michael Arena, their chief talent officer, there is a is a wonderfully vulnerable, introspective leader who who with a clear bias for action and and he discovered when he took over talent uh, the ta- the the talent issue at General Motors. Now consider this he, decades of the way we've always done it syndrome, Twatty syndrome, decades of union contracts, decades of, of legacy processes, um, pensions, everything. And yet he knew he had to lead this company toward their next vision. And, and how, how, how did he keep traditional 
business based on long-term deliverables on the same page as 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 their zero emissions, zero accidents, zero congestion philosophy. And he sat down and realized one day that that some of his company is 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 more like more like a super tanker. They just kind of crawl through the water. They move at their own pace. They can't change direction quickly. And he knew he needed leaders to to help push that super tanker along the way. Their their entire business model depended on the deliverables promised by the the super tanker group. At the same time, he knew he had a speedboat group, and and the speedboat group, you know, doing the the the, the um, zero emission cars and and uh, autonomous cars and all that. They need to be able to move quickly and pivot and change at a moment's notice, especially given the the competitive nature of that of that team and and that industry. And so he consciously sat down and said, "I am going to respect the speed and pace and strength of the super tanker group while inspiring the quick change, the the, the immediate pivots of." The speedboat group, and and as I listened to him say this, and we just we just interviewed him for a new book a, a few months ago, it occurred to me that almost every company has the group of people. Even let's say there's 50 people, and, and you can theoretically you can go fast and loose. There's 25 of those people, maybe 30 that are going to be in speedboat mode, and there's everybody else that's going to be in super tanker mode. It's the, you know engineering, testing, accounting, um, hiring. Right, they they can't be in speedboat mode. Or they'll, they'll, their process will suffer as a result. So, so the leaders that that we find are highly effective, um, especially right now in the in the corporate world, are those who understand that that their bias of action is appropriately paced for each division within their organization, and they don't treat everybody the same, and and they don't expect the same pace of results. And and it's those people who can who can mentor each of those groups to do their, their best possible work. Those are the ones that are really just doing amazing work right now. Hmm. Yeah, that, that, that's really interesting. I didn't know that when, when I think of entrenched companies, uh, General Motors definitely comes to mind. So it's exciting to hear they're figuring out ways to change that. So let me ask this, um, you know, you, you'd mentioned at the start that you, you've done a book. I think you said it was called World Gone Social. What do we need to know about social media? <laughs> well, that's, boy, there. I know, there, that's a big question. There's a, there's a 45 minute podcast right there. Um, <laughs> I, I will tell you the biggest thing is uh, that, that we are now finally, thank God, moving into what I would consider to be phase two of social media. And, Brock, I know you saw this. Phase, phase one seemed to be absolutely dominated by spammers and self-promoters and, and companies junk, jumping into the bandwagon, onto the bandwagon that, that had not yet aligned their values and their purpose with their product and their, and their um, sense of community. And, and we're now seeing, um, through attrition of nothing else, we're seeing, I mean, yes, there's still a few people out there making a, a huge amount of money based on self-promotion and spamming and um, quote-unquote humble brags. But for the most part, Social media has calmed down a little bit, and it stopped being the time suck that it, that it once was. And and I'm I'm actually not because I was a, you know even though I, was a, I'm a, I am an old white guy, 
I was an early adopter of social media because I'm basically an introvert and I, and I loved being able to hide behind my keyboard and yet, yet still engage with people I would have never met otherwise. And it was just, it was an amazing experience for me. And I wanted everybody to en- enjoy that same experience. But at the same time, I became a little bitter, a little, a little jaded because I, I was frustrated here. I'm trying to run my businesses and, and I, maybe I'm not getting the traction that I think I should have right now, or I'm not growing as fast as I should have, but here's all these spammers and, and just blatant self-promotion. And they seem to be doing, you know, amazingly well, they're traveling all over the world speaking and they have the new book coming out and, 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 and we think they have the perfect life. You and I talked before about being Facebook fabulous and then, and then when you really sit down mm-hmm. and talk to them, you find out that that book did not sell well at all. That speaking gig didn't go well. Um, pneumonia was uh, set the person back six weeks because they had to fly to Singapore for that keynote they weren't prepared for. And, and so it's a, a lot of it is don't, you can't get sucked up in the busyness that, you know, you can't, you can't let social media be a time suck. You can't compare your progress to, or, or your dreams, your vision to what it seems like others are doing through their social media accounts. And more importantly, social media is is nothing more than a way to communicate your passion, your your projects, your your desire to help people. It it's 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 not it's not a mechanism by which we get famous. It's it's a it's a mechanism that eventually exposes the person we really are, not the person we want to be. And and so so um Instead of a 45 answer, there's a three minute answer, but that's what it boils down to. Nice. I love that. Exposes the person we really are versus the person. Well, now I already forgot it. Oh, man, it was perfect, too. <laughs> Exposes the person we really are versus the person we're yeah, pretending so that's, to be. That's that very close. Said? Yes. Or want to be. Yes. Exposing the person. To, is, 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 social media, the, our true colors come out on social media. And, and, it's it's not just about a tweet. Um, I mean, look look what's happening in Washington D.C. at this very moment, right? Every time somebody tweets, they expose the the person they really are. All we have to do is sit back and and believe them, right? So, it's a yeah, it's a it's an interesting trap that we set for ourselves. So, you know, we have covered just an, an incredibly wide range of topics here from, uh, you know, everything you learned from kind of startup failures to helping other startups to uh, hel- helping very established leaders turn things around, to helping younger, newer leaders get started to social media. Uh, what haven't I asked you that I really, really need to ask you about? Today, oh, well, God, what a great question. Um, I well, I tell you what, I talk a lot. Brock about what we refer to as a mentor first mindset. And, and so maybe we should talk about that just for a second and I'll, and I'll make it really brief because you've been so generous with your time already, but, but over the years we've developed kind of a three tier system for the kind of leaders that we want to work with and, 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 and help. And, and certainly the leaders we want to hire within our companies. And, and the three tier system goes something like this. First of all, you have your, your typical industrial age manager, and your manager, although probably a really good person that that uh, probably earned earned their stripes along their way through years of experience, but they their view of leadership is pretty old school. It's based on you know can, how closely can we get to um, to our stated overhead values while getting the most out of our people. So a lot of 
a lot of focus on number crunching and compliance and conformance, right? That's it's kind of a manager. They drive results, but there isn't a lot of human interaction there. The next stage, which is what everybody's talking about now, is is a leader. And, and, and as, as, as you and I have already talked about, a leader is somebody who deliberately inspires that bias for action, that 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 asks people to work hard and fast and and even when things aren't going well, a leader can can re-motivate and pivot a little bit and say all the right things at all the right times, dynamic and charismatic and all that stuff. You know, think of a Mark Zuckerberg in that role and 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 even even Steve Jobs before them, right? You think about how many much trouble Apple had and yet Steve Jobs always seemed to pull him out of it, right? Well, except for when he got fired for a while, but that's a different story. Um and and then on that third tier, and this is where we try to encourage all of our clients and customers and readers and, and champions to think is the next level above leader as mentor. And and a mentor, quite put quite simply, is somebody who does inspire and motivate, but also takes the time to sit back and, and, and ask the hard question, how are you doing? And how can I help you? And what's what's next for you? Whether you you know, what's, whether you're going to stay with our company or not, how can I help you? And, and what are you, you know, what are your passions and, and what do we have in common? Who do we know in common? Who do you need to know? And that mentor, that person who, who, even if it might cost their company in the, in the long term, if they find out that, that there is another opportunity out there, if you're remembered for being a mentor, you never let go. People, people who love their mentors never let go of that relationship. And, and it always comes back to benefit them later, certainly at the company now, but later in life, if man, if you're known as a mentor, you you have mutually beneficial relationships for life. And and so that's where we're steering people toward Brock is don't certainly don't be a manager. That's a that's an industrial age fallacy. Um, at the very least, be a good leader that gets the most out of your people and ins- inspires them to take action. But but if you if you can take the time, if you can care enough about your people to be a mentor, you you're set for life and and uh, and you're probably going to heaven. So it's a it's a pretty good deal all the way around. Very good. Uh, that's kind of a big promise, there, Mark. <laughs> yes, it um, is. So. <laughs> I, 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 <laughs> Um, that's awesome. Uh, so but my final questions for you here today are, are one, where can people find you? And then two, I always like to ask, how could the listeners help you? Oh, out? what a great question. Uh, well, so, so first of all, to find me, you can, you can find us, uh, we have, we have two websites up, um, u helps young careerists, young professionals, uh, college students understand what the workplace might really be like and how they fit in it. So you can find us at Y-O-U-T-E-R-N.com. There we focus a lot on internships and mentorship, apprenticeships, um, just getting ready for for the professional segment of your life. And and then on the leadership side and the culture side, we we have workiq.com, that's spelled W-O-R-Q-I-Q.com, where we talk about leadership and culture and workplace intelligence. Um, so find us there. Um, I also tend to be a lot on, uh, on Twitter, a lot at, at Mark at Mark S. Babbitt. So you can certainly um, find me there in LinkedIn. Um, second, how can people help me? I, I, as I said earlier, Brock, I'm a big believer in self-awareness and self-discovery. And, and if, if you are re- ready to take on the challenge of, of, of being a better leader and perhaps even a mentor, 
then then I would just love to talk to you. I we do a ton of pro bono work. U-turn is one hundred percent pro bono. We've never charged a, a student or a or a career center or a college a penny for our work there. Work IQ. We have some wonderful clients that help us pay our bills. Um, big companies that have all kinds of money to spend. Um, if you're if you're an entrepreneur or 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 even considering being an entrepreneur and you're in that self discovery phase, then let's just have a conversation. Nice, nice. Well, Mark, really appreciate your time today. This has been fabulous. Well, well, thank you, Brock. Hey, thank you for listening to Imperfect Action today. Let me know what your favorite takeaway was. What What are you going to take from the show and put into action in your life right now today to help you move forward? Hit me up in the comments or on Twitter. I'm dying to hear how is this show helping you to move forward? Now, one of the things I want to mention was that today's episode was brought to you by Nutrafit. Now, I tried Nutrafit's whey protein supplement after meeting the founder and hearing about his journey and his commitment to quality. I like to support up and coming businesses, so I gave it a try and I was really amazed at it. Now, I've had a lot of different protein drinks, but what made Nutrafit different is one that it mixes immediately and also that the chocolate flavor actually tasted like chocolate. You know, so often they taste that like some kind of chemical engineering science project rather than just like food. And on top of that, Nutrafit has no artificial sweeteners, colors, or preservatives. Plus, it includes probiotics, and I find it to be easy on the stomach. Now, the true taste test of it all is that my teenage daughter even likes it. She often has a shaker cup in the morning just on her way to school. Now, there are a lot of supplement brands on the market, but I do want to mention that Nutrafit happens to be my personal favorite. And as a listener of Imperfect Action, you get 15% off of any order. When you're at checkout, after you've picked out your products, just use the code TAKEACTION. And that's written as one word, just take action at checkout. Now, my personal favorite, and I'm not trying to influence you here, but is the double chocolate whey protein. And you can order right on Nutrafit's website. That's N-U-T-R-I-F-I-T-T. There's two T's in there. So Nutrafit.net. And let me know what you think.